Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the recovery guy, and you have entered into the fix. Hello, hello, hello. My name is Robert. I am the Recovery Guy. Thank you so much for being a part of what we are doing today. Uh, if you are new to us or relatively new to us, I want to welcome you. As my sponsor, Will, would say, if you're new or relatively new to the program of recovery, we want you to come back because every one of us who is in personal recovery, we were all on day one. We were all on day two. We know what it's like to take a 30, 60, 90 day chip. We all remember what it's like to wonder if this thing is going to work. You know, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I personally guarantee you that if you do what is suggested that you do, you can get well, period. We recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. And if I would tell you the things that you could anticipate in your life, you would either think I was exaggerating or lying. But let me tell you, my life was not this good in my dreams. And all I did was follow a few simple steps. And they are simple because if they were complicated, trust me, I'd have relapsed a long time ago. But the simplicity of what we're going to express to you today is a path for us to get and to stay well, to recover and to stay recovered to have what I believe is called permanent sobriety. I never am cured. What I really have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of my spiritual conditioning. And that is what the plan of recovery helps me find. Today, I am so stoked because I have a new friend in studio. He is the author and the podcaster for 217 Recovery. And his name is Corey and I'm going to bring him on. We're going to chat today and talk about his recovery and what they're doing at 217, how you can be a part of that as we look to spread the message of wellness to others who are dying. So, Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you. Dude, I have a new friend, and, and I'm so excited to have met you. Yeah. Hey, Robert. How's it going? <laughs> you know, obviously, I'm stoked, man. I'm energized. I'm excited about our time together today. Yeah. It it was great that we got hooked up together and you were on uh, our podcast and that was an amazing time. And it was just like, we'd known each other for a hundred years. You know, that's yeah. the beauty of people in recovery, man. We doesn't matter what city we live in, what state we live in, man. We can talk recovery for days. You and I could, we should do that. I think we did this morning. <laughs> <laughs> we could do like a marathon. <laughs> like people oh, would just yeah. walk in there like, what are you guys doing? A news? Inter no, we're just, talking about recovery. You know, and, and that's part of what we're going to get to today, uh, Corey, is, you know, that fellowship, that group that you and Marnie were talking about in uh, one of your podcasts. But let's introduce the folks to you and a little bit about your background, what you're doing, and, and what you see for your personal recovery. Well, my name's Corey. I am a person in recovery. Uh, that's the way I like to, to say things. Um, I used to do the whole, hi, I'm Corey, I'm an alcoholic thing. But uh, if you've listened to our podcast, 
which your audience probably has not. Uh, for me, you know, growing up, my mom would tell me, oh, don't go to Uncle Jim's or whatever. He's, he's an alcoholic, you know, and, you know, he beats, you know, Aunt Sherry and this and that. And alcoholic became a bad person, you know, and so I don't know if that had anything to do with me finally accepting the fact that I had a problem with alcohol, but I clearly didn't want my family or friends or anyone to know me or refer to me as an alcoholic. So, uh, yeah, so I'm a person in recovery. I have almost two and a half years clean and it hit me when I was in treatment for the last time, which was my 15th time in treatment. And I call treatment, you know, the mental hospital, you know, going to those places too. And it hit me that I need to do this as, as a career. And my previous career, I was in radio for 20 years, uh, on-air personalities, program director, promotions director, all that stuff. And it's kind of hard after 20 years to just throw that stuff away. Everything I had learned, yeah. you know, just throw it away and start something new. You know, and I was 37 at that time. So I went back to school and thought I'll be a drug counselor at first. And then I realized I couldn't be a drug counselor because I'd be fired day two because I don't like when people <laughs> BS me. And, you know, we'd kind of had a conversation uh, before we started this about, you know, the kid glove things. And, you know, I, I'm not a big fan of wearing kid gloves and I don't think you are either. And it's just like, this is kind of the way that we need to tell people. And we don't have the kid glove box in our yeah. desk, unfortunately, but, you know, so going back to that, but then during the 15th time in treatment, that's when I realized that, you know, I need to make a career out of this. And, uh, my sister had been telling me I should start a podcast, but I, I didn't really know much about podcasting. I didn't have anything to talk about. And then one of the counselors there suggested that I talk about my recovery. And at first I, I was, I was afraid, you know, I had always kept my drinking, at least I thought away from listeners and mm -hmm. I didn't want anybody to know, you know, it was the whole, Oh, nobody can know. And, and that was such a freeing feeling when I started the podcast to just, <sighs> to just let it go, get it out there. Yeah. You know, I didn't have to look around to see who was wondering if Corey was, nope, Corey's not drinking today. And that was the old Corey. And this is the new one. And it was, mm -hmm. it really kind of transitioned me into this whole new mindset of, I don't have to hide anymore. You know, and I think that had a lot to do with my success so far. You know, at the end of the day today, when I go to sleep, 99.9% .9 chance I'm going to go to bed sober. Yeah. And that's great. And that's a wonderful feeling. But when I started the podcast, though, I realized quickly that other people were listening. <laughs> and some people would tell me that I helped them. And I, I it kind of baffled me at first because I was talking about my recovery. I was talking about the kind of day I had, the good days, the bad days, you know, the, the feelings I was having. It was kind of like a, a therapy session. And I was doing it with a couple of buddies that lived in the sober living home with me at the time. And we just got a lot off our chest. And then we started realizing that people started listening that weren't in recovery, that didn't have a problem with substance use. Nice. It was their families. And they were yeah. listening to kind of, okay, so I want to know what my dad's going to, let, let's listen to 217 Recovery Podcast. And, I love that. Yeah. And that was shocking. And I'm just like, my gosh, you know, like people are listening and, and, and that was like a added benefit to it. And then we kind of moved it to a, um, 501c3 not because i don't want to pay taxes <laughs> i like to pay those but no just because we that would open the door for grants where we could get those and that would help people and that's that's kind of our our goal and 
moving forward with 217 recovery as like the nonprofit, you know, we want, we're, we're doing transportation now. That's a huge thing here in, in Northern Michigan. Um, not everybody can just get in a car and go to treatment. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I went to treatment my last time, my mother, she was done. She was the last person yeah. that was still having hope with hope in me, had hope in me. And she wouldn't drive me to treatment. She's like, not again, you take the bus, you know, and in buses in Michigan, any, I don't, I'm probably all over the country, but you go to bus stops, man, it's, you can get whatever you want there, drugs, sure. sex, anything. Yeah. So not really a, a safe place for someone going to or coming from out of treatment. And it kind of hit me and I thought, man, transportation would be a good one. And I kind of sat there kind of like most people do and think, man, how come they're not doing something about this? Mm-hmm man, somebody needs to do something about this. And then it hit me like, well, maybe I need to do something about this. Yeah. You know, it's the old saying I heard that if you really rely on teachers at schools to teach your kid everything, well, good luck. You know, I mean, if you want your kid to know something, you should probably teach it yourself. Yeah. And it's kind of one of those um, things that kind of came over me. And I was like, yeah, let's, let's just go ahead and let's start it. And I didn't know what I was doing. Started reaching out to uh, organizations, the PIHPs here. I don't know if they have those in Utah. It's the uh, prepaid. They have something similar. Yeah. Program. It's it's pretty much like anybody who's on Medicaid, you know, you go mm-hmm. through them and they'll send you to treatment. Well, they understand it or they understood the importance of the transportation in Northern Michigan and the lack of, and they were on board with it. But their their thing was, about grants and they couldn't give us grant money because the state already provides transportation, right? Bus, (laughs) the state runs the busing. So the state will go, well, why are we going to give 217 recovery money to take people to treatment when they can just take the bus? And I I pointed out, well, I'm a recovery coach. And I mean, this is a huge, I mean, some of these rides are four hours long, you know I mean? Yeah. They're stuck in a car with me talking recovery for four hours, Robert, like, now it's not going to keep them sober the rest of their life, but they're, they're going to learn a little something. And kind of like I did along the way, you kind of put everything together and hopefully one day it works out for them. But you know, it's, it's going really, really well. We've been super busy lately, but the next thing, you know, we're going to do is open a recovery house. And at first, Robert, I don't know how they work out there, but here when people go through sober living, at least when I went through, everybody was like, man, so the guy owner, Jason DeBeck, he's making so much money off this house. He's got 20 guys in here, 400 bucks each a month. Man, he's making a killing. But you start adding those numbers up and you realize he's not making that much money. You know, and he tells you that too. He's like, man, I'm not making much that much here. You know, guys, you know, you guys think I'm, I'm living this, this grand life, but I'm really not. And you start doing numbers. It's like, mm, okay, yeah, that's not really going to work. But there's a way to do it, Robert. And this just kind of hit me, I don't know, a few weeks ago. It doesn't make, we don't need 20 houses half-assed. You know, if you run one house the way it should be run yeah, and you make a difference and you're willing to stick your neck out to do things that other people aren't doing, get, get the guys out or the women out in the community, you know, show the community, hey, these, yeah. this is how we're living. This is what we're doing. And if we set the bar so high, people see it. Robert, money, and that's something I've never been concerned with either. And maybe I should be, my wife would tell you, but I think God's just going to take care of me. And I just have these ideas and it's like, you know what, if I'm doing it right, I think enough people will notice and go, Hey, I want to be a part of that too. You know, like let us, let the front gate be named after me. Here's, you know, 10 bucks or whatever. But 
I think it'll work out how it's supposed to, but that's, that's something that's in the future plans as well. And, you know, it's that, it's that quantity versus quality, you know, years mm -hmm. ago when I was involved in sales, Zig Ziglar, who was one of my, one of my mentors in, in terms of motivational and practical approach to people, not just sales. He would say, if you, if you focus on the sale, you won't, you eventually, you won't have very many customers. But if you focus on the customer in a relatively short period of time, you'll have more than you need of both, you know, and that's the same thing, you know, if, because you and I know that, you know, it, you can, you can spread this as thin as you want it to, but if there, if you don't dig deep, you know, one of the things that I've never, I don't know if you've ever heard the story of the Chinese bamboo tree mm. and it's an incredible story. Google it and check it out. The, the, the key to the bamboo tree being, being able to withstand typhoons is how the root system is developed. And, and check it out, Google it. And for those of you who are listening, Google, Google the Chinese bamboo tree and, and understand its growth cycle. Because I think that's what you're saying, Corey, is, is you want to invest more deeply in a smaller number of people because that's where you think you can make the difference. Yeah. Is that, is that a fair yeah. assessment? Yeah, that's hundred percent fair. And, and, and again, not everybody that would, that would live in our house would be sober for the rest of their lives. I mean, that's just the odds are against us, but at the same time, I think if we take the time to do what we need to do and the right things for a person's recovery and everybody's different too, you know, take that into consideration. But instead of thinking, oh man, I, I got a house I can get 20 guys in because you can get every bathroom that you have, you can get six guys in. So I need, you know, a four bathroom house, you know, so I can get 20 guys in there and then we can cram it and then I'll probably need three more houses and then we could probably make a hundred grand a year. You know, instead of thinking about it like the money, think mm -hmm. about it like, okay, you know, if we had six guys, five guys, whatever, women, men, whatever. And this is, this is a program we set up, you know, where we have somebody that helps them. Uh, every day, you know, they can call right. every day and yeah. somebody in my vision of it would be, we would have a manager that we pay, you know, a good yeah. salary to live there, 30, 40 grand, you know, like the house is not going to make all that for sure. You know, we're going to need help from other people. But like I said, if, if it's done the right way and people see us in the community and they know, oh man, you know, the 217 recovery house, like that's where I want to send my people, you know, yeah. like. And yeah, we, we charge them whatever rent, 400 bucks. I mean, nothing crazy, I'm sure, but just enough to hold them accountable, you know, to say, hey, look, this isn't a free ride because I've seen that kind of blow up in people's faces sure. too. Because, you know, in here in Michigan, like I said, they will, insurance companies will fund you for up to 90 days sometimes and people go in there and they have nothing to lose, man. They nothing. Yeah. They got no security deposit. Yeah, they, yeah. yeah there's, no, uh, there's, there's no sweat in the game. Yeah, none. Yeah. None at all. Yeah. No, my, uh, my friend, Scott, uh, Scotty B out of Southern California, Scotty's been sober going on 15 years and he uh, runs a group called welcome home, sober living mm -hmm. and welcome home is, is a re reunification program for young women who have lost their children to the court system. Mm -hmm. And they come in and that's kind of like their, 
that's what they have in the game. They know that to get their children back, then they have to do these certain things. It's kind of like the, what Stephen Covey would call the jackass theory of motivation, right? The stick in the back and the carrot in the front. You know, there, there has to be that combination. Um, and, and, and it sounds like that's your approach, you know, as well, just really helping people understand that they have to make some type of commitment. There's, there has to be something to lose in order for you to move towards what you can gain. Yeah. Because otherwise it's a zero sum experience. If I have nothing to lose, it's kind of like, and, and, and let's get in and talk about the steps and what they did to you. And I'll sort of introduce it this way. And by the way, if you want to know more about Corey and what he and Marnie are doing, you got to go check out on Instagram at 217recovery, go to 217recovery.com, check them out what they're doing. Go to your um, a Google Play Store or go to the app store with iPhone and just download their 217 app. 217 Recovery, pretty distinctive. You'll you'll see it. You'll know it when you see it. And download it. Become a part of what they're doing. And I think you'll be better as a result of it. Um, one of the things, Corey, that's so important is because you talk about, in, in your last podcast, zero would come out of you relapsing. So somewhere along the line, you, you refer to step one as understanding the unmanageability and the powerless over your life. And it sort of kept you honest. Would you say that, that, that almost forced you to do the rest of the steps? Would, is, is that fair to say? Tell, tell me about that. Yeah, it, it's, it's fair to say that. Um, when, when I first had to admit to myself and to others, it was kind of like I, I was forced to do it. Um, like I mentioned earlier, I, I didn't want people to know I was an alcoholic. Little did I know they already <laughs> they already knew. Uh, <laughs> yeah, big surprise. But no, uh, when I was 37, my liver shut down, my kidneys shut down, other organs were going, and I was taken to the hospital and told that if I went home and not went to that appointment, uh, I would have died. I wouldn't have woken up. Next time I went to sleep, I wouldn't have woken up. And and that was kind of hard to take. And the doctor came in. I remember he just looked at me and, and I, again, I thought I was at the hospital. I thought, okay, fix me. Let me go home. And he looks at me and he just said, well, how long have you been an alcoholic? And I was wow. offended. I was offended. Like, Who are you to tell me, you know, and he's like, how long you been an alcoholic? I said, man, I, I just had a good month. You know, I had a good month of drinking <laughs> and he, he shot that down pretty quick and said, no, man. He's like, I, I've seen your liver. I know what it looks like this wasn't done over a month. He was like, you could have had a good month. Sure. But, uh, your, your liver is taking some damage and you've been drinking for quite some time. And every day I would assume, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. And so that was kind of like, wow, like I couldn't trick that doctor. And that was the first time that I realized that, okay, I, I guess I can't talk my way out of this one. I can't make excuses anymore for this. And they even called my family and they told my mom that if she wanted to see me, that she should probably come on down. You know, and wow. I was in Arkansas at the time. So her and my stepdad drove down there and, uh, it was, it was eye opening. It was like, okay, well, cat's out of the bag now. Uh, I told my work, you know, I was in the hospital and they sent flowers and I, I, I was kind of shocked by how people responded. And so I kind of, I guess like a kid kind of peeking out of, 
out of closet or looking around the corner, you know, like, Hey, is it safe to me to come out? That was kind of like my intro into the whole getting honest with it. But I, st- I still wasn't there yet though. I told them that they, they gave me list of AA meetings and, you know, some therapists to talk to. And I said, I don't need any of that. I just need to stop drinking. Mm-hmm. So I was at, I was at that stage of, I just won't drink. Everything will be just fine. That lasted for a couple months, you know, even though the doctor said, if you drink again, your liver, liver could seize up and you, it's not coming back on, man. Like you're, you're done. So I still drink again after that. So that's how powerful it is, you know? And that's when I realized that when people say, well, just don't drink anymore. Mm, okay. Sounds good. Good plan. <laughs> sure. You were the first person to ever say that, but <laughs> that's when it was like, okay, well, what, what's the next step? Okay. I need to go to treatment. I thought I, I need to go to a treatment center. So I, I did that and I started opening up a little bit more, but then like, I think it was off uh, the show we were talking and you had said something about how you wanted to be different. You give them just a little bit, just a little bit, but you're holding yeah. it back because you still want to be different, you know? And exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm bad, but not that bad, you know? And you don't, we don't give them the whole experience of, of how bad it is or what's really going on in our head. Like what's, what's causing me to, to drink, you know, like what's, What's the root of the problem here? You know, what am I trying to cover up and run from? What am I hiding? And so that took a couple more years. And when I finally was able to really start digging in and I would go to treatment and I would leave early because I already heard that before. And this time it's my feelings that that's making me drink. So let's, let's dig into those. And I was always told about coping skills and, oh, if you're angry, go for a walk. Okay. That makes me tired but it doesn't fix what's going on. You know, it wasn't until I learned how to peel that back and to learn about how anger is a secondary emotion and, and really dig in there and, and just take a minute to just not run to the liquor store. You know, just take a minute to just to feel sad. You know, people feel sad. Sometimes sad things happen, man, but to, to feel it and to go through it. And that I think is when I was really able to accept fully that, no, I, I, I can never drink again. And this thing is way bigger than me. Like I have no control over it. You know, if, if I start, I have no control. And the only way to have some is to process things and, you know, put myself around other people who are like-minded. You know, it's interesting. And, and I'm glad that you shared the story <clears throat> with the doctor telling you about your medical condition. Um, you know, all of those things look good on paper. Because uh, after I relapsed and I came back to recovery, my sponsor at the time, Max, he said, why should I still sponsor you? And he said, and, and my answer was, because I need it. And he said, well, tell me about that. And I, and I told him about, I need this and I need that. My family's falling apart and I'm unemployed and I need to go do this and I need to go do that. And, and just like the doctor would tell me, you know, because at the time I had a non-functioning liver. I mean, you know, so much of our physical care, you, your body can only take so much before it says, hey, I'm checking out. I'm out of here. Have a nice day. We're, you're going to die soon. Right. And, and, and he helped me understand. And it sounded like you were you were going there. It's not about that you needed it or that I needed it or that we need it. The differentiator is, do we want it? Mm. Right. And we want it on a level beyond 
what we need. Because if it was just about needing, a whole lot more of us would be clean and sober in recovery. But it's only those who, who want it. Uh, and again, I don't mean to put words in your mouth, but as I'm listening to you share, that's where my head's going. Did, did you remember making a transition where the hell with needing it, I want this thing? Yeah. Which takes on a whole nother level, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It does. Cause, but you're right, though. When I, I would have three months, four months, I never got to six months until this last time. Mm-hmm. But I, I would, you know, I would want to have my electric bill paid. I would want, I would want things, you know, and yeah. And I was, so I would get those things and, and then I would get to a comfortable spot and then it would all blow up again. And some of that, I don't know if I just wasn't used to being that in that situation of, Hey, everything's going well, you know, it's going to blow up. Let me just blow it up myself. Right. But that's still not wanting it. You know, when I started to want it, it was right before my last treatment and I can be just like everybody else. I've never been to jail before until I went mm-hmm. to jail. And my thing was, I didn't, I like drinking too much. I didn't drink and drive, but when you go three, four months at a time and I'm putting that distance every time, you know, and then I would relapse, but then I don't have another three, four months. And then I'd relapse, and then another three, four months. That's still some sobriety time in there. And a lot sure. of people forget that. And I would forget that as well and go relapse. Just like I had been drinking back in 2015, you know, with half gallon of hundred proof stuff. And yeah blackouts would happen and next thing i made my car and some guys knocking on the door you know what are you doing and i was like i don't know i'm just what are you doing knocking on my window for i'm in my apartment <laughs> complex i'm like this guy's problem and he's calling me names saying i almost killed somebody and i said like, what are you talking about man i'm just sitting in my car and he's like you were driving around i was like what get out of here man and uh, i told him to call the cops call him you don't have proof i wasn't driving i'm right here in my car and i'm in my pajama pants and t-shirt i don't know what the hell this guy's talking about and the cops come and I told them that they can't take me to jail and they did, you know, but I, I needed that. And yeah, I get out of jail. I go into my house and I see that my front into my car, my passenger side headlight is smashed out and I have a paint trail of what looks like to be a dumpster <laughs> on oh. the side of my car. <laughs> so yeah, that's scary. And that's when it was like, okay, this isn't a game anymore. Like, a relapse doesn't mean, oh, you get to go back to rehab again. A relapse means you could kill somebody. Yeah. And so that's that kind of woke me up a little bit. And then I was sent back to jail again because, of course, I, I walked in the house after jail and there's my half gallon sitting there. Like, there was no reason for me to drive anywhere. Like, I don't, I really don't understand. Uh, and that, but that's, that's the scary part of it, too. So um, when I got on probation for a year and I just thought, okay, I have so many, there's no way they could prove I was driving, but you know, I'm wanting to fight it still. And then the lawyer looks at me, he's like, when's the last time you've been sober for a year? I was like, I don't know, probably when I was like 11, <laughs> you know? And he's like, yeah. see the problem there, man. He's like, this might just save your life. And, and that's when I started looking at it completely different. And I was like, okay, so I'll have some consequences, which I never really had before. So, I mean, jail was all right. I wouldn't like to be there ever again. So that was kind of a deterrent. And, you know, to show them that, Hey, I could do this probation thing and do it for a year. And damn it, I've never had more than six months. You know, I've never even had six months. So this, this is yeah. something that, this is something that I, I want to do. And I want to prove to everybody that I can do it. You know, and my mother, like I said earlier, she's the only one who never gave up on me. And I wanted to prove it to her and to everybody else that told her that, Oh, you just let him die. You should just stop. You should just let him go. He's a grown ass man. I wanted her to have some kind of like, huh, told you guys that he could do it. Yeah. 
So once I kind of got that fire under me, and then right before I left for treatment, I went to see my counselor in Benton Harbor, Michigan. And as I was leaving, the recovery coach pulled me in his office. Like, let me talk to you, Corey. And I was all right, what's up? He's like, what's it going to take, man, for you to stop drinking and, or to never drink again. And I started to fire off of, Oh, well, you know, once I have kids, you know, he's like, shh, shh, shut up. He's like, that's not meant for you to answer right now. He's like, that's something you got to answer to yourself whenever the time's right but you need to figure that out. And I thought, okay. So I thought about that and I had a 12 hour bus ride to my treatment center and I was thinking about it. And like the first two, three nights I'm laying in bed thinking about it. And then it hit me, man. When I was 22, 23, I was on the radio and I thought at the time drinking on the air made me, cool. made me, made me yeah, it made me fun. You know, I was the fun guy. Yeah. I was partying all the time. And I heard a commercial that I had done and it was so bad, Robert. I was slurring all over like, and the embarrassment that that caused me, like, and I, obviously other people heard it too, but I went back to the station and I redid it. And I swore then I would never drink on the air again. And I would be at remotes at bars. People would be throwing me shots and I'm like, Nope, not drinking on the air. And I never did. Now, of course I came and hung over as hell and that probably <laughs> made my show suck. But, but yeah, I, I that was one thing that I put above drinking. And I thought, well, hell, you know, let's, and I was onto something with the whole therapist thing or counselor, drug counselor, but I just thought, man, nah, that's not going to really work out. But, you know, when the whole podcast talk came up and it's like, let's start this. And, and that's when it really became something that I wanted. And, and there were things out there that I wanted to do and people laughed at me. Oh, you're going to, you're going to start a podcast. You have three months sober, buddy. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's, it's not up to them to understand the, the size of the magnitude of my dreams, you know, that that's on me. People can laugh all they want. I don't really care. I mean, I'm laughing now. I got a nice studio, beautiful wife, you know, I got a company that I'm running and, and we're doing things and people know who we are in Northern Michigan now. And people kind of look at me like, Oh my God. And people are always trying to buy my gear. I'm like, give me two seventeen recovery hoodie. I'll pay you 50 bucks <laughs> for it. You know, and here you go. I'll take this one right off. <laughs> but it, it, it's something that, is very rewarding for me now and to see people want to be a part of it. Unfortunately, a lot of people that have been a part of it have, have fallen off. Yeah. You know, they didn't really want it, you know, or I can't really put it like that. You know, this, this like I said, this was my want, this is my dream. You know, other people, they, they kind of want to come around for a minute, but that's not their dream. So I can't really hold them to the standards that I hold myself yeah. to as far as like throwing myself into something that is actually really good for me. You know, I I really appreciate the the whole transition and 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 your story and walking us through your understanding that you you had to get better on so many different levels that it took so much. Um, like like I said early on, you know, prior to our recording this conversation, I don't make any apologies for anything that I believe or say. Only because it works, right? Mm -hmm. um, those who came before me who have, you know, 37, 45, 50 years who came before me, they don't make any apology. You, you know, I've been clean and sober three and a half decades. I don't have to make an apology for anything because no one can tell me that it doesn't work, right? You've been at this for two and a half years. No one can tell you that it, that it doesn't work. You know, and when you say, you know, it's like 
if you want it, right? Because there are different things that we want. We have to decide what do we really want? Because what we really want will be measured by what we do, right? Mm -hmm. It's really interesting. I did a podcast um, about, about being, right? Where on one hand, we're, we're a human being, not a human doing, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not what I do. I am who I am. But if you look up the definition of being, it implies action. Action is derived from being because being is a constant. And, and I don't be as, as, as something that doesn't move and breathe. And that's a whole nother concept. But that's what you're talking about. You know, you're, you, you, you're developing this person of power who, who's decided what they want. And, and, and your mission is to help others find what they want. And you hope it's the life that you found. Because we know both sides, don't we? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And I was taking a guy the other day to treatment and I had to be very mindful of what I said. He, he was pretty high on, on meth and he thought I was a cop and he was like talking to himself and I, I wasn't sure if he was going to lash Everybody out. Everybody who isn't high is a cop in NA, by the way. <laughs> yeah. But I was just like, all right, man, I got to like not freak this dude out. And, you know, he's in the back seat, So I'm just kind of like, eh, and I just, I'm pretty chill, calm guy anyway. And, and he, he said as much so, but I, I pray to God. I was like, Lord, you know, like just give this guy a peace of mind or whatever. And then about two, three minutes later, he's just like, I don't know what happened, man, but I just have this peace of mind come over me. Like, I'm, I'm like, for real guy. Like, did you just do that? <laughs> Might as well. All right. It sounds good to me. Cause I just prayed for it to happen and it happened. And then he starts talking to Robert and he was talking about this place where he used in the city was behind a Meyer store and Meyer's like Walmart or whatever, mm -hmm. but, but here in Michigan, it's kind of a big deal, but it, it's the store. He said, that's where all the, the homeless people go. And that's where all the users go. And he said, man, there's so many needles back there and there's so much trash and garbage back there. It's like, man, it makes me sick to even think that I'd ever went back there. And then he said, why don't they go and clean that up? I wonder. And before I could even think of anything else, he shot right back with, why don't I go clean that stuff up, you know? <laughs> and I was like, dude, that's what I'm talking about, man. It, it's that same thinking that give, that's giving you this ride right treatment yeah. right now, you know, because I noticed nobody was doing it. And I said, let's go do it. And, you know, I, I told him, I was like, man, you know, when you get out of treatment there. I want you to call me because there's some things that we can do. You know, I'm sure a lot of cities would throw some money at you if you yeah. wanted to clean up their area, you know, and there's a harm reduction, Michigan, which, you know, they pass out the syringes and, you know, they collect dirty ones. And, you know, there's so many different people we can get involved in here that they love giving grant money out like that. And I told them, I was like, I'll even help you form a 501c3 nonprofit, man. Yeah. It can be done. I didn't know what I was doing when I did it, put it all together myself. And I, I did it, you know, I was like, don't let anybody tell you that you can't do anything. Right. Not in recovery because nope. we can go anywhere. We can do anything providing our motives are correct. You know, we've got a couple minutes left. And, uh, and again, I really appreciate that we put this together to, um, uh, to have this conversation today. Um, take about two or three minutes. In a, in a nutshell, what is your message to the new person to recovery? And how can people reach you? 
I'd say my message would be have fun and recovery. You know, if fun, I love to have fun. And I've been to too many meetings where people just are down and out. And that's just not me, man. Like I'm, I make my, my recovery fun. If other people don't like it, then they have to go home and they have to deal with it because mm-hmm. there's nothing I can do about it. You know, um, you're the only one that can c- control how you feel or think, you know, don't let other people's actions throw you off your square. Don't, oh, she made me mad today. No, you made yourself mad, you know, deal with those inner feelings, you know, and have fun with it. Um, easy to get a hold of, like you'd mentioned earlier, the Facebook, the Instagram, the Twitter, um, the app, the new app is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can listen to our podcast. I'm uploading podcasts from 2019 now, and that's a memory lane. Woo. Yeah. So got to get those up there 2020, but then, yeah, we got a last few months on there, but website 217 recovery as well. And there's resources on there. Some of them are nationwide. Some of them are just exclusive to Michigan, but mm-hmm. there's a lot of help out there for sure. And, you know, um, use it. Yeah. Yeah. That's the key. You know, you know, my, my books only look good sitting on a bookshelf, but if I pick them up and read them and apply it, you know, like, like this whole thing. And I'm so glad you're a person into action so quickly. That's why we have a, a chapter in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous called into action right after how it works. Right. Chapter mm-hmm. six is into action. So we get all these tools and then they say, now go use them, right? Mm-hmm. I'm just redoing my tool shed at home and it looks great. I got a new pegboard, got everything organized, but it's really going to work if I go in there and I actually build something or I repair something or I fix something. That's when it really makes a difference. Not how nice you can make it look, but how well it works for you as a person. Because then once you and I have a message, now we're able to share the message. You know, obviously you can't transmit something that you haven't got, right? So, so you and I and others like us need to need to have that message. So we're not, as they called, stupid, bored, and blum, right? I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want to do this. I want to do that. You know, I, I want to start a 501c3. I want to take people to treatment. I want to go clean up an alley. I, I want to have a great marriage. You know, I want to do this and I want to do that. Wow. Corey does this and Robert does that. And Chaz does this and Angie does that. I want to be like them. Right. And then, and then they share that message and then it goes out and out and out. I'm going to go ahead in, in the description of the podcast, I'm going to make sure that people have your, your website so they can just click on that and go right to, and get involved in what you're doing, especially if they're involved in that neck of the woods in Michigan. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can, you can direct people on how to get people into treatment. Um, I would imagine you work earlier on off, off air. We were talking about uh, codependence and it's not so much as that you, you know, suffer from a particular addiction, but but, but maybe you're a family, a friend, a loved one of someone who is suffering because there's help for the, for them as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll have to make that another topic because I'd love to have you back on the show. Yeah, it'd be great. And don't feel ashamed. You know, um, that's easier said than done, but don't be afraid to reach out for help. Yeah, it's that's right. That's what we're here for, man. You know, because there was a time, Corey, that without help, we would be dead. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and every day. I, I remember the people who were in the rooms as if they were waiting just for me 
And I know they were there because that's what they did. But I took everything personally back then. <laughs> <laughs> and I and I captured that and I said, you're here just for me. And uh, boy, it's been great chatting with you today. And, and I'm so glad that you and I are friends and share in this journey of recovery. Uh, thank you for joining us today on Recovery Guy podcast. Obviously, recoveryguy.org, um, uh, recovery underscore guy on Instagram. Uh, you can find me and contribute on patreon.com forward slash recovery guy. And as always, I do want to thank you for being a part of today's podcast. My name is Robert and I am the recovery guy. <laughs>